Hello and welcome to the Maidcast, the official podcast of the Museum of Art and Digital Entertainment, a series of lectures on video game history as part of the Maid's ongoing effort to preserve history through teaching and displaying playable exhibits of rare games and consoles. I'm Miles. And I'm Anthony. This week, Red talks with the Maid's own new executive director, Shem. They talk about what got him interested in gaming, what the museum's up to currently, and how he got into his position at the Maid. But first, let's get into some news. I mean, this is coming off the back of them buying um, Bethesda and Zenimax and stuff for, I think, $7 billion. Yeah. I played the first Assassin's, Assassin's Creed and I never really stuck with it, so I might pick up the Ezio, the Ezio trilogy, but...
From what I've heard, and this is all just speculation at this point, um, it's to combat botting, um, which apparently has been an issue recently with that game. Um, it would make sense. Um, yeah. Apparently there's some, there's some deal where uh, making a new character gives you a couple items and then you can transfer that to a different account. And so it's possible that they are looking into um, figuring out how to sort of stop that easy accumulation of gear. When Shun's back with us, I want him to give us his take because he's more of a Monster Hunter person than any of us. So I want to hear what he thinks about the, the gameplay. Good. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I have. Um, I don't want to give too much away just because uh, there's a lot that's in flux right now. Nothing set in stone, but we are definitely looking for a new spot, which is really exciting. Uh, yeah, just um, I think a lot of options are open right now. Uh, really, it just boils down to price. How can we, we're a nonprofit. So how do we maximize the amount of impact we can have on the community? for the least amount of cost because we really want to take all of the donors contributions and really extend that as far as possible. Yeah. So, um, I guess I could like, not that I'm going to go into my whole life story or anything, but I think um, it's really important when we talk about the importance of a museum, um, particularly with video games, um, how a lot of us get started in our careers. Um, so for me, my parents, they bought a 286 
uh, way back when I was even before elementary school. And so this is back in the days of like dial and modems and, um, the, the computers cost thousands of dollars, um, just to have something as weak as that. And, uh, my parents bought it to do word processing and to do taxes. And when it was sitting around our family would just like, we'd just play video games. And my parents were like, oh no, this is not what it's for. It's not for video games. Like you guys are going to be, if you're going to use the computer, you're going to learn to type. And so there was a certain amount of time, it was like 15 to 20 minutes of like, oh yeah, you can play video games. But then after that, it's like you had to type. And so back in those days in DOS, there was an interpreter called QBasic. And so me, like a lot of people got into game development by playing video games and then figuring out how they worked by writing them inside of basic on DOS. Um, so that was, that was kind of, and, and the funny thing is that aligns up with a lot of, uh, of what the museum does, but kind of fast forward, um, video games were an important part of my life. Um, although like I did a lot of kind of like art and stuff, um, it, it always stayed at like in the, the kind of back, I was always doing like tiny little scripting, like doing game modding. Um, I would, I made like maps and Starcraft and stuff and like tried to hack it so that you could put the minerals right next to the command center. Um, that was always like those, those like cash, fast cash maps, you know? Um, yeah, exactly. So that you could just like rush as fast as possible into the, the meaty parts of the game. Um, yeah, yeah, totally. Um, so from there, um, I got a degree in mathematics, uh, entered the film industry, kind of doing tools for artists, um, and did, had a short stint running a startup. And, uh, now I work kind of in the big tech, um, area, just a standard, one of those, uh, Silicon Valley companies. <laughs> yeah, the thick. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, like, um, kind of one of my visions moving into the executive director position is like, how do we collaborate very closely with a lot of the organizations that already exist within Oakland? Um, so for instance, like there's little Saigon, we took up some of our collection out there. It's, it's not doing too much good, just sitting in storage. So like, if we take it out to, um, those communities, then they have a benefit. So like, how do we get, like, how do we kind of like hack the map to like put our collection into all those like key spots? Yeah, totally. And it's like, I, I really don't want that to go away. I think it's pretty exciting to to use that as a model for a museum moving forward in the future.
Yeah, absolutely. Oh yeah. Okay, so stunts. Um, was this like pretty great 3D racing game? Um yeah, and so that one like you could it was like one of the first games that where I had the experience of like you being able to like create your own tracks in the game. Um and I think that was just like so cool. I, I think that um that there's there's like this idea of like, oh yeah, you, you make the experience, but then how do you make it so that the person feels like they're putting a piece of themselves into the experience? And I think that's that's pretty awesome in a game that old. Um, the amount of extra work to make that. Yeah, totally. Oh, nice. Do you remember what it was called? Ah, uh, bummer. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that the 286... Oh. Uh, just like really quickly, the two the two eighty six I was using, I think that was like from ninety two ninety three, and so it's like kind of interesting, like hearing you talk about it because that's like I was on the command line, and then like suddenly like the m machine you're using is like you have a whole like GUI and everything, which is different generation. <laughs> Yeah, so I think the most exciting thing is probably continuing that model of bringing the museum outside. And uh, I, I also want to point out that like this isn't something that um, we we just started because of the pandemic. Even before, like that was that was part of what we did. Um, so like um, I think it was Chris Berkey and Travis Kinger did a lot of kind of like taking the collection out. And um, and so I also want to kind of 
maybe make a little call out to organizations. So it's like, hey, if you have an event and uh, you're interested in kind of partnering on, on this kind of stuff, yeah, we'd, we'd love to, to continue that. Um, I think the next thing, the, the two things that I also want to bring up. Um, so one of them is uh, we have like kind of gotten a small kind of, uh, I guess you could say, a co-working pod set up where people who do know about um, the indie co-working um, for previously, they have like a small group and, and at some point we'll probably expand it. Uh, but it's right now it's kind of intimate. But to me, this is really important because when I was doing the kind of indie game dev startup thing, it's really hard to find other developers to work with. Um, it's because it's, it's like it's such a niche thing, right? Um, and what a lot of people don't know is that in Oakland, we have a bunch of really cool indie game developers um, or people who are working adjacent to that space. And um, once once things start calming down and uh, people are able to go out again, that's something I'm super passionate about. Like, I, I think that our, that games are a incredible form of artistic expression. And there's the educational element that once you get a little bit older, is there a space where you feel comfortable getting critiqued on your video games, sharing your video game, uh, and having people who understand the struggle about you? I think that's super important. So um, co-working, once, once that opens up, I'm super excited to have more people. Yeah, totally. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And this, this podcast helps a ton too. Um, I think like having those folks who worked on a lot of those video games, um, if you're like an indie game developer and, uh, you have like those, these records of, of you talking to a lot of these like OGs, um, it's really, it's really helpful for them. Um, so like I have been listening to these podcasts as well. And like, personally, they, they keep me inspired. Uh, and then just before I forget, I, I wanted to point out the the next thing, which is uh, education. So we actually did start teaching classes again. Um, and so, uh, Vita, uh, and Nanette have been working like really hard on the education side for the past 10 years, uh, before I came. Um, but given the pandemic, like we had to close down. So I've been kind of doing a soft relaunch and uh, taking a lot of their principles and kind of extending them further forward. Um, and I think the, the first few classes we did were on just basic 
HTML and then extending that into JavaScript. So how do you create very minute elements of interactivity simply using like links in in HTML, right? Um, you don't, I think a lot of times like people are like, oh man, I need to know like all this math. I need to know like graphics and all of this crazy stuff before I get started making video games. Well, it's like, no, you know, like the first video games, a lot of them were just text-based. So um, how do we, I think that like kind of breaking down that barrier of like, first of all, just express yourself. And then from there, then we can start like teaching you about like the, the more complex aspects. Um, and so moving forward, what I want to do is have a direct pathway into the co-working. So kids can come in and they say like, I have this idea for a game. And we simply sit down and hash out, like, what's the, what's the simplest version of that? Can we get to like something that maybe doesn't even have graphics at all, but like you made something and then you can start building on that. So it's like kind of like a, a mini co-working space where it's more about helping get started. And then from there, um, as the kids get older, maybe they're in high school now and they, they're like starting to learn more in, uh, in school about, um, about algebra and about calculus. Then we can start taking those concepts and they can even move into the general co-working group um, and have industry folks like actually show them how all of this stuff applies. So I'm super excited about that too. Yeah. Totally. Oh uh, yeah, totally. Yeah, and I I think uh, really quickly, um, I think that while a lot of people will be like, oh man, maybe there's enough video games and all this, maybe the more like pessimistic people, I personally think like it's an artistic form of expression. It's kind of like saying, well, let's all just stop drawing. But let's say that we like humor them for a little bit. Um, and it's like, sure. But on the other hand, like you're learning incredible skills, like you're learning how to apply mathematics, you're learning how to simulate reality, a lot of these things that you can kind of take out outside of it. And so uh, we've been working a little bit with uh, Tommy Wong at Civic Design Studios. He actually connected us to a space where we could start teaching um, these programming classes, which like, thank you so much. And like Ginkgo, Ginkgo Bioworks, they, they have like offered up our, their space so that we could teach classes and it's been really good. But um, I think what's really exciting is this, like, uh, what's the area? Because we're, we're the Museum of Art and Digital Entertainment. Um, and no part of that is their video games. Because digital entertainment is encompassing of video games. So what does it mean if digital entertainment is outside in civic spaces? What does it mean if it's outside of, like, uh, how, how, do, how does that look, right? And so especially as, like, 
we, we think about what it means to be a museum. I think that that collab, the, the, the intersection of civic spaces and museums is a really interesting area. And I think that Tommy does amazing work and I'm looking forward to collaborating with him. Oh, yeah, totally. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, it's a <laughs> that's true. Um, this is a hard question. Okay, so favorite game of all time or favorite game right now? Okay. All right. Okay. So favorite game right now is mini motorways. So yeah, I'm, it's a mobile game. Uh, I'm generally, I don't play too many games these days cause I'm super busy. Uh, so like the, the maid is like a completely volunteer run organization so like a lot of folks here like are very very busy so like these guys doing your podcast they're like they're they're bonkers uh so but like we're all super busy um so what, what, what about mini motorways um it's like it's designed for you to fail fast um it just like keeps on scaling up and, and okay so oh, let me start off with the premise and the premise is like you're, you're designing a city or designing the streets of a city as the city grows. And so um, things like there'll be houses that you have to connect to resource points and cars will go to those resource points and come back to the house. Um, and if you design a really bad city and the resources pile up inside of those resource points, you lose. So the goal is to keep it going on as long as you can. And what I love about that is like, it's like, it gives, It gives this like sense of, oh yeah, I'm accomplishing this thing. 
But then when it ends, it's not like completely horrendous. You know why you failed and you could move on to like your lunch. Um, so right now it, it just like fits so well into my schedule. Like I can get in a game and I can be like, okay, cool. All right. I can, I can go back to normal life and I'm refreshed to do that. Yeah, totally. <laughs> yeah, the, the real game. And then I guess of, of all time, this is, this is tough. Um, so I probably put the most hours into StarCraft. Um, but I would say, I think the games that I aspire to um, are like Shenzhen IO. Um, so that's a game where like, you can either pop open a PDF um, of a manual that, uh, so you're basically coding an assembly to put together tiny electronic devices um, inside the game. And so it has like a whole assembly compiled inside of there and you have like a signal process. You, you basically process signals within each of the microcontrollers. Um, and then you, um, I, well, how I like to do it is I like to print out the, uh, the manual that teaches you how to code in their like mini assembly language and just go through and, and, um, and, and play the game as if like, I was still a kid. Uh, and, and to me, that's like, it's, I, I feel like there's this really cool connection between like, oh yeah, you're just having fun. And like, you have these characters who you're talking to, um, in the game. But then when you go out into real life, it's like, wow, like things are pretty similar. And then you, you start to like learn how to enjoy things in real life. And I think that that's like a really cool model that I, I like in video games. It isn't like an end to itself. Like it isn't to suck you in and just like keep you there, but it moves you into the real world and lets you start thinking like, how is the real world like a game? Where can I take my risks? Where should I not? Um, and then like you will eventually start taking more risks because like you've, you've learned enough in the game that you know how to get rid of the, the stuff that you you shouldn't be risking um, yeah exactly Yeah, totally. Oh, executive director now. <laughs> yeah, so, oh yeah, I, sh I should probably uh, just uh, also point out, so Alex, Alex Handy is still with the organization, um, but he has transitioned to um, chairman of the board. Um, so he's definitely going to be helping, helping out. He helps me out on day-to-day -day stuff, um, during the transition, but we definitely need somebody to help wrangle up board members. And speaking of which, if you are a person who, um, has like been in the industry, wants to know how to give back, um, or think that like your skills could be really useful at, at the board level, um, definitely reach out to us because, um, we definitely need that kind of direction um as as ex the executive director and there's only so much that i can see on the horizon um having more perspective definitely helps me out so 
would be glad to have you. Yeah, so there is a, um, a you can you can either email info at the made.org or there is a contact page that you can contact us for. Yeah. <laughs> I agree. Thanks for having me. Keep it up. Latest. <laughs> So, so those two mini games, I think they're in the same, um, uh, mini motorways I haven't tried yet, but I've played the previous title that came from that company and both of them are on steam. So if you want to play them on PC, you can, um, uh, it's mini Metro and mini motorways, and they're both really great little logistics games. Um, Shem's talked about them in detail, so I'm not really going to go into it, but I, I, I agree with his recommendation. Uh, yeah, so I just recently picked up uh, a copy of Super Star Wars from the PlayStation Store. What's that? Uh, <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Uh, so Super Star Wars, um, developed by LucasArts, uh, released for the SNES 1992, was sort of like this run-and-gun action shooter game um taking place in the star wars universe mm -hmm. yeah similar to like contra or like metal slug and yeah just as red said it it's brutal like o omg uh the first level i, I can't beat the first level because <laughs> it's one of those yeah, it's one of those like you have to memorize like sort of every little like nuance and uh, enemy position. Yeah. Mm -hmm. 
<laughs> yeah. Um, and, and and if you're thinking like this is going to be super canon, it it kind of isn't. Well, at least with the enemy types, um, in the first stage, you're like fighting sort of like flying creatures. I don't even know what they are. And a lot of scorpions, tons of scorpions <laughs> for some reason. Yeah. Thanks. I'm going to need it. Uh, I've gotten back into Space Engineers, which is one of my favorite um, just sort of sandbox building games. There's more to it than that. It's really supposed to be a survival game, but um, I play it in creative mode, so it's basically just playing with Legos. Um, it's it's fairly old at this point. It's still being developed. Uh, there's a new uh, DLC that's going to overhaul the the uh, weapons and combat systems coming in, I think, next month. Um, and really what makes that game great is the mod support. Uh, the, the Steam Workshop for it has, I think, half a million items on it. Um, and so it's it's everything from like custom designed planets to uh, like special uh, thruster decals to like completely different systems of like here's how this resource works now versus like all this stuff. Um, it's it's the mod the mod community has really made this game incredible. Um, it's already good, but it's kind of bare bones in its default state and. Um, it's to me it's a lot of fun because it's just playing with my toys uh you get to build a cool spaceship and fly it around and it has sort of realistic physics and gravity and all that sort of stuff and um you know then you smash them into each other and see what happens uh for the most part yeah We'd like to send out a big thank you to everyone who donated recently and to our Patreon supporters who keep the made afloat. Patreon donors get to listen to this podcast one week before it's released on major streaming services, and we'll continue that with future episodes every week. This week's episode was brought to you in part by Patreon donors Felipe Sanchez and Paige Table. Thanks so much for your support. I'm Anthony. And I'm Miles. Take care.